everyone, and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about a strange thing that's happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards, and with me today is Barnaby King. Hello. Hello. How oh. are you today? I'm well, and Lombardi the Rabbit is just coming down the stairs. Excellent. <laughs> um, so... The third host of That Time When. <laughs> the silent host. <laughs> well, I try and edit out his chewing of the cat flap, but well sometimes it gets in there. So, um, today I'm going to tell you a story that I think meshes well with the current theme of life, which is, of course, plague. Ah, yes. Um, This is one of my favourite plague stories, Mm -hmm. and it is one that I was first told back when I was in year seven, Okay, which is about 11 years old for people who are not English and don't know the English school system. Right, yeah. Um, And... The thing that I remember most about being told this the first time was that I was convinced it was a medieval story. Okay. Because we were told it as a medieval story to do with the Black Death. Oh, right. Okay. It's Which not medieval. Which happened in 1284. <laughs> I don't know, the 1300s, roughly? Yeah, probably. Um, it, this is not a medieval story. Okay. Uh, this took place in the 17th century. Right, okay. But as you know, people always mistake the 17th century for medieval times. Yeah, I think basically you go from end of the Romans mm-hmm. and then people just kind of go medieval until about maybe late 1700s. I guess. Or possibly the Victorians, depending on how much education you've had, I guess, in well, terms of history. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, no, the 17th century was not medieval. No. It was a very different time, a different zeitgeist, a different feeling. Fashions were different. Hair was huge. (laughs) There were perms all over the place. It was not. Um, (laughs) We are are in 1665 for our story today. Okay. Um, And that means that we're just past the Puritan era. Right, okay. Of which more later. Right. So everyone's very, you know, drab and... Yeah, they're wearing the sad colours. Yeah. Um, which is what they were called. Oh, is it? Yeah, they're called the sad <laughs> colours. Um, and it's like... Girl, say say what you see, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's like black and grey and brown. Yeah. Um, and everyone's got their hair pinned up and mm. put underneath those big white um, cap things that yeah. people always have in early American films. Yeah. You know? Well, it was the Puritans that went over to America. It was those Puritans, yes. <laughs> and that's why America has, like, some very interesting morals yeah. in some ways. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the Puritans had good things and bad things. Mm. We're actually just past the Puritan era. Okay, and we're so now everything's in, getting cool again. Everything's getting debauched oh. because it's the Reformation. All right. No. It's not the Reformation, it's the Restoration. Restoration, There we go. The Reformation is about monasteries, and that's Henry VIII, I apologise. The Restoration is Charles II as king being restored to the monarchy. Right. And also going, you know what, let's have loads of plays where people cheat on each other, and why don't I cheat on my wife with like 10,000 ladies, including a lot of actresses. Yes. And orange sellers. Nell Gwynn. Nell Gwynn. blimey, I'm Nell Gwynn. I've got my... Lovely oranges here. You you want to squeeze them, don't you, King Charlie boy, eh? I bet, yeah. Exactly. Yes. However, uh, this <laughs> debauchery had not necessarily spread up to the Peak District, where right. our story begins. Okay. So our story begins in early September 1665 in a small village which is called Eme, 
in the Peak District. Eam? Eam. It's spelt E-Y-A-M, like E-M. Am. But it's pronounced Eam. Eam. So much so that on the village website, it has a little thing in the corner going, it's pronounced Eam. <laughs> I think Excellent. they're fed up. Now, in this village um, was a man called George Vickers, and he was a tailor's assistant. He wasn't a vicar. He was not a vicar. Oh, shame. Double C. Ah. George Vickers was a tailor's assistant who seems to have been a bit itinerant, like he moved around from place mm. to place, uh, because he was visiting to help the local tailor, Alexander Hadfield, make clothes for Wakes Week. Alexander Hadfield. <laughs> His name is Alexander Hadfield, and he is making some clothes for the village. <laughs> <laughs> but just you wait. Um, <laughs> and people did have to wait for these clothes. Right. Um, I'll explain what Wakes Week is very briefly. Mm-hmm. We don't celebrate it anymore because mm, of school of holidays. Oh, okay. Um, because apparently it was a really big thing in the north of England mm. all the way through the Industrial Revolution. And it used to basically be the time for people working in industry to get a week off. Oh. Um, although back in the 1600s, it was a way for people to celebrate their local church that have a wake or a vigil. Right. I was going to say, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking when you were like wakes week, I was like, did they just like save up all the funerals and just have them all <laughs> in this one week with a big old party? Nah, this is a um, different form of wake. So it's still the vigil, but is, not for anything anyone dead. Is it wakes week yet, Pa? Grandpa's smelling awfully bad. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, in this case, Wakes Week sounds pretty nice, to yeah. be honest. Like, uh, you have your vigil, and then op- and then after that, you have some games, some sports, you have drinking, and you have dancing, which is why people were ordering new clothes, because this was like right. a big festival party type thing. This is the fashionable time. Yeah, this is when you want to get some new clothes together so you can show off to all your neighbours. And you know what's always great just before, like, you do some big partying stuff? Yeah? A vigil. <laughs> like... I'm sorry, surely these people are going to be knackered. I How long know. is this vigil? It's an all-night vigil. Yeah, so... Um, but it's a whole week, so maybe <laughs> you go home, you have a nap, and then you party. This is where, this is where the tradition of taking cocaine in clubs started, <laughs> because they needed something to, you know, get them through the vigils and into Wakes Week. Absolutely. So um, Alexander, the, ha- the local tailor, mm-hmm. um, had actually ordered cloth from London in order to get everyone's outfits ready in time. Yeah. However, George was halted in this work because he suddenly got fever. Ah, I see. And that was pretty devastating in the 1600- 1600s. Yeah. Um, but this was also no ordinary fever Ooh. because he started to get chills. Ooh. And they were multiplying? They were multiplying. And he was losing control? Of his limbs, yes. Oh. And then his glands started to swell up and they turned into buboes and they realised that he had bubonic plague. Ah, you don't want that. You do not. Uh, You you hate to see it. (laughs) Well, definitely, (laughs) especially this plague. Yeah. So this plague uh, was part of the Great Plague. So not like the Black Death, which is the 1300s one, the Great Plague is the last big plague that England ever faced. Right. Um, So London had been suffering from this Great Plague since around April of that year. Mm -hmm. It killed about a quarter of London's inhabitants. Oh. And it's thought that 
it was only prevented from getting worse by the Great Fire of London that happened the next year, effectively oh. driving out and killing all the rats. I was thinking, because you were saying it's 1665, I was thinking 1666, that makes me think of something. But yes, yeah, Great Fire right. of London. Great Fire of London is next year. Yeah. This year is plague. <laughs> London was not having a good time. Oh God, please, no one inform the British government that this is how they dealt with the uh, Great Plague, because mm. otherwise there are going to be so many places that are just torched mysteriously and there's a blonde-haired miscreant <laughs> seen around them with a tank of petrol. Haven't people already set fire to, like, um, 5G masts back in the early days? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. There you go, done. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we should be comparing some people with very strange ideas setting fire to what amount to you know like phone masts yeah. to burning down most of London that's true that's true but it is more difficult to burn down most of London these days because of people's reaction mm. after the great fire yeah that so, makes sense you know maybe they just won't try it hence the petrol indeed <laughs> <laughs> so at the time people didn't know how the plague was spread and they didn't know that it was spread by fleas. Mm. Um, so I think it must have been quite a shock because the plague just suddenly shows up more than 160 miles away from London. Right, yeah. In basically the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Like, obviously there is a lot going on in Derbyshire and I don't mean to sort of be disrespectful to the people of Eam, but it's a small village. Yeah. And definitely compared to London. And then they noticed that there were these tiny pamphlets on the ground. It was tourist information for travelling fleas about how great the village of Eam was and how they should <laughs> go there. Oh, that's kind of cute. Yeah. Well, it was Wakes Week. They were going to go party. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> But they didn't go to anyone else's Wakes Week, despite the fact that every single village in the north has a Wakes Week. Yeah, but you see, the um, town council in Eam, they had a pretty serious flea division mm -hmm. who were very big at promoting the place. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, Hence the pamphlets. The reason, like, the thing people suspect now mm -hmm. is that the fleas came up in the bale of cloth that ah, had been bought yeah, that makes sense. Um, by Alexander Hadfield, yeah. hence why George is the first one to get sick. Right, die. that makes sense. Mm. Now, this plague that they had was just so obviously the same, like, virulent strain, because the thing was that um, people had plague constantly yeah. between the era of the Black Death and the late 1600s. Mm. Um, it had peaks, mm -hmm. which was why, for instance, Shakespeare's company apparently used to travel around the countryside in summer was to avoid the plague. Oh, because right. They had, to, they had to shut down the theatre. Yeah. They didn't want people all getting together in yeah. one mass. And you want to get out of the cities. You do. Um, but nothing quite like the Great Plague had happened. So right. it must have been a different strain. Yeah. A variant, if you will. The Netherlands variant. Is it actually that? Uh, no, but it would be the Netherlands variant because uh, that's where it, it came from. Like, <laughs> um, interestingly, the British government had tried to prevent ships coming from Europe because they knew that this like extreme plague was happening. And they were just at shit at controlling their borders when needed, then as they are now. They were. But you know who wasn't shit at controlling their borders? Uh, Madam Pretty of Patel. <laughs> uh, the village of Eam. Ah. That's right. This is that time when a whole village quarantined successfully. 
Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've given the game away right there. I, I guess that's the episode over. Well, thank you very much for listening. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you about it because okay. I think it's a nice, like, ultimately, this is going to be a bit of a bummer episode because, you know, lots of people die. Well, yeah. Because um, it's the plague. Hmm. But I think it's an interesting sort of story in terms of thinking about how everyone's responded to the coronavirus hmm. um, to see how people responded to kind of something that's actually much, much worse. Oh, yeah. Um, people be plaguing. Like 400 years ago. Yeah. So generally, the way that people avoided getting plague was just to leave. So mm. we've talked about people leaving London for the yeah. summer. That used to happen a lot. Um, however, the rector of Eam at the time, William Mompesson, mm-hmm. was really, really concerned that people would leave Eam. Right. Because he knew that if people fled the village, they would most likely take the plague with them, which is what people did in London. They would spread it around to the whole of the south. London bastards, those metropolitan elite with their second homes going away and spreading the plague. Except that they couldn't get as far as Cornwall in those days. Well, you can barely do that now. (laughs) That's true. So he knew that... Love you, Cornwall. (laughs) So he knew that they would take the plague with them probably to towns Mm. and the nearest towns were Sheffield and Bakewell. So loads of people would get the plague and it would be properly spread around basically um, the northern Midlands. Yeah, tarts full of plague. I know. And the Bakewell tarts as well. You knew where I was going with that. I knew where you were going with that. (laughs) So he made this massive decision, right? Yeah. He goes, okay... This village needs to be quarantined. Mm. No one's going in and no one's going out. Okay. Um, now, the thing is that no historical issue is ever straightforward. No. Um, I think that whenever we tell stories, we like to have our nice straightforward stories. Yeah. But the thing is that there's more going on than just the plague right, um, okay. for England at the time. Mm. As I said, Charles II had just been restored to the monarchy right. in 1660. So literally like five years beforehand. Yeah. And before that, there was 11 years of Britain being a commonwealth under Cromwell, who was Puritan. Mm. And during Good that... old civil war. <laughs> oh, man, it's crazy. Yeah. Now, during that time, the majority of the villages of Eam had supported Oliver Cromwell and the Puritan government. Right. So they were really into Cromwell, and they weren't particularly happy about the return of Charles II. Right. And that included their rector of the time, which was Thomas Stanley. Mm -hmm. Now, in 1662, after Charles returns, they pass an act, which was called the Act of Uniformity. Oh, okay. And that was basically a way of getting the Puritans out of the church. Right. Um, What they did was they made the Book of Common Prayer um, compulsory in religious services. And the Book of Common Prayer is basically what... Anglicans always use. Right. And then they loaded up all the Puritans into a big catapult and flung them into the countryside. Well, that would have been pretty tricky. Yeah? Because upwards of 2,000 ministers refused to use the Book of Common Prayer and they were rejected from the church. We're going to need a bigger catapult. Exactly. You'd need a huge catapult with Puritan ministers flung left, right and (laughs) centre, their gigantic colours flying in the breeze. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so uh, one of the people who was obviously ejected from the church... (laughs) Via catapult. Via catapult... (laughs) 
um, was Thomas Stanley. Right. Um, the previous rector. And so as a result, he was replaced by William Mompesson in 1664. Mm-hmm. And presumably because of the catapult, he was forced to live on the outskirts of Eam. Yeah. He was. He had to live where he landed. He had to build like a little hut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Obviously, Mompesson, who's basically been put there by the government yeah is not very popular with the villagers they're all puritans they're mostly puritans yeah. yes um and pure bastards and also you know their minister that they liked was forced out mm. and he is like the replacement that the government says you've got to have yeah you know? like yeah that's never gonna work no. Brit- british people don't really change you like you go hey this is the person you have now and they're like don't tell us what to do. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we don't like this one. Bring back the old one. Yeah, like he's just on the outskirts. We can bring him back any time. And they're like, ugh, we'd have to build another catapult to catapult him <laughs> into town. We'll have to take down all the traps we've set to catch Puritans. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah, they don't like him. They don't really trust him. And mm. they kind of see him as this outsider that's been forced into this massive position of power in their village. Or not from around these parts. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, and here he is going, I need to get these people to make a massive, massive life-changing risk. Right. In order to save other people. Yeah. So he's in a tricky spot. Yeah. But luckily... <laughs> You'd think normally in that case, you just kind of go sod it and leave. <laughs> <laughs> Start trading in eels somewhere. Oh, that would have been a good plan, yeah. <laughs> but actually, the thing is that he was a really smart man. And he knew that if the villagers wouldn't listen to him, then they would listen to Stanley. Right. So he went off to where Stanley had been catapulted to. And he's like, Stanley, we've got one last job for you. He's like, no, man, I'm out of the game. I'm all dried up. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um basically they they went they met up together um in accounts I've read it's like on the hills right um and between them they created a plan to limit the spread of the plague and right. how to do it okay so they were, they were both really practical men in the way that they addressed this which I think is kind of awesome mm-hmm. and they used ideas that make sense today oh okay so they built a big old wall they did not build a wall. Okay. Because they didn't need to. Oh. So they tied all the villagers to their beds. <laughs> no. What they did was on the twenty fourth of June, um, mm-hmm. sixteen sixty six. Yeah. They uh, held a meeting, mm-hmm. both of them, so that the townspeople knew that Stanley approved of this. Yeah. And it was our mate Stanley. <laughs> Whee! Big up, Stanley. And they set up some. Uh, conditions for how they needed to live until the plague was over. Right. So firstly, they organised with the Earl of Devonshire, who owns Chatsworth House, which is nearby, Mm -hmm. um, for him to send them food and supplies if they quarantined. Mm. Because obviously he's going to benefit from not all his tenants dying of plague. So he actually signs up to this kind of readily. Yeah. Secondly, they closed the church. Oh, okay. So people wouldn't congregate? Yes. Ah. Um, because they believed that the plague might be spread through human-to-human contact. Right. So, 
they said it's not worth the risk yeah. of everyone getting together and spreading the plague between them. What we'll do is we will go and gather together in an outdoor area mm-hmm. and then all of the families can be distant from each other. Hey, socially distant. Yeah, they, they <laughs> created social distancing. They said all the families will be distant from each other and we will hold our um, we'll hold our sermons out in the open air because that'll help limit the yeah. spread of the plague. So basically they... They, they got this plan together and they thought, you know, we need something that's sort of easy to remember. And they came up with, and this is in the original language, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. <laughs> exactly. I <laughs> <laughs> um, don't know what accent that was. I don't know either. That was uh, sort of vaguely Scandinavian. Yeah. It was sort of more of an early english than a yes <laughs> than an early middle english but it, it's cool it's cool I, I in my head i just had um richly e. grant in posh nosh <laughs> doing enough. the bread and bus pudding recipe yes take bread fry it in oil <laughs> but once again that is medieval because yeah. it's so easy to confuse the <laughs> middle ages and the 17th century okay yeah sure it is if you say so <laughs> you've just done it Oh, yeah, I did it for comic effect. I knew all along. (laughs) Uh, Yes, uh, moving on. (laughs) Okay, so the third thing is also quite interesting. Basically, because they believed that the corpses of those who had died from plague might be infectious, Mm -hmm. um, the villagers agreed to bury their dead in the closest possible place so that it could be quick, rather than... um, rather than burying them in sanctified ground like in the graveyard right so So that's chuck them out the window (laughs) no there's a really tragic story about this oh no so there was one woman who lost her husband and i think five of her children in a week right and she had to bury them all in one of her fields oh damn yeah, and there's a story about how the people of the nearby town, like the nearby village, knew what was going on, but they were too afraid to help her. Mm. But the place where she was, you could see her and yeah. still be beyond the boundary. So people sort of watched her as she like dragged the corpses of all her family and buried them in this field. I mean, okay, two things. Firstly, that's a pretty cool like ghost story image. Yeah. And secondly... It's all going to work out all right, because after a while, she's going to grow herself a new husband and children. <laughs> That's true. Um, incidentally, you can go and see these graves. Like, um, yeah. the National Trust have created this little um, walled-off area with gravestones that were made after the case. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's it was kind of tragic. But mm. at the same time, this was kind of a big sacrifice for people to make, because yeah. they believed you had to be buried in sanctified ground Mm. but they agreed to it because the risk of disease spreading was so great yeah and then finally and this one is kind of the coolest bit uh, the villagers also set up two locations where money could be exchanged for goods without the risk of infection yeah and so these are the boundary stone and a site that's now known as mompersons well right after the vector and they brewed alcohol gel inside it (laughs) Close. Oh, okay. Uh, they put vinegar in it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, they used to leave money in in the well, which is quite small. Yeah. Um, and f- they filled it with vinegar so that it would be uh, disinfected as oh, far as they wow. knew about disinfection. That's so cool. Yeah, because again, they didn't know what was causing yeah. 
the um, the illness to spread. Yeah. But I think that's like really interesting, given that they had no idea about germ theory. Yeah. But they thought, you know, maybe it's touching it or mm. breathing on it or something. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, especially given that at this point in time, people in London were readily killing as many cats and dogs as they could because they thought mm. they were spreading the plague. Yeah. And then obviously they weren't eating as many rats and then yeah. the plague got worse. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the villagers of Eam are like, pretty sensible? <laughs> yeah, like, comparatively so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what they'd do, they'd leave their money in these like little um, vinegar pools and then uh, people would take the money and leave goods so that they didn't have to interact with each other at all Ah, and then they take the coins and wipe them on their chips absolutely (laughs) delicious delicious kind of confusing because potatoes are only very new and deep fat frying does not been invented Ah, details details um so mumperson did promise the villagers that he would stay with them Mm -hmm. um as part of like the bargain in this and he did but after a month he (laughs) went now i'm off (laughs) Oh no, bless him. He did stay with them. Oh, good um, man. I th- I read somewhere that they that he and his wife Catherine had already sent their children away before he made this announcement. Right. So yeah, like <laughs> you can understand that though because they were very very small children. And he would travel to visit them at Barnard Castle. <laughs> He did not travel. Right. Um, he was apparently, and you can read in his letters, he was convinced for a long time that he was dying. Oh wow! Like, okay. He thought he would die of this plague. He was just really bored. <laughs> he was. He wrote, "I am bored to death," and everyone's like, "Oh no, you're right." <laughs> oh no, no, he was convinced. Um. So by August of 1666, the mm. plague was at its peak, and right. around five or six people in the village died every day. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, Jesus, like, how many people were in this village? We don't know. Okay. Um, historian estimate, historians' estimates come between 350 and 800 people. Right. Again, it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to tell because mm. the village shifted so much afterwards. Yeah. After the plague, the uh, total population was four. <laughs> I mean, not far off. Um, so... Yeah, like, in, in any case, um, in total, 260 villagers died. Ooh. So if it was 350 yeah. people in the first place, then that is a massive dip. Yeah, right. And even if it's 800, then it's a third of the yeah. village. So either, either way, way... some pretty hefty tolls. It is a hefty toll, and it is worse, technically, than the effect on London. Oh, wow, okay. Um. Now, despite the fact that there were so many people dying, very few people broke the quarantine. Oh, nice. Which is, like, amazing, actually, when you think about it. The only person who did was Dominic of Cummings. (laughs) Okay, so people weren't completely... People weren't completely perfect. No. Because people never are. No. Um... My example of people being imperfect today is Marshall Howe. So Marshall Howe... Marshall Facelicker Howe. (laughs) He was tasked with burying the dead. Right. And he got infected really early on in the plague. Mm. Uh, But he survived. Okay. And a bunch of people did survive and are now known to have a chromosome that helps them to survive plague. Right. So actually the village of Eam, which still has a reasonable number of the original inhabitants living there is actually the descendants i assume not the original inhabitants (laughs) descendants of the original inhabitants (laughs) yes Uh, it's kind of plague resistant oh wow um so apparently a lot of the people like a few of the people who live there still have this plague resistance thing and they can prove it which is kind of cool that's pretty cool um so so marshall house seems to have been one of these plague resistant people Mm -hmm. and he 
after he survived, he reckoned he couldn't get infected twice, which yeah. seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, so he volunteered to do a lot of grave digging. Right. There was a reason he was doing this. Yeah? Which oh, is, was he robbing them? He was robbing the victims. Oh, of course he was. God damn it. <sighs> now, tragically, although as far as I can tell, he didn't die of the plague. Um, he was killed by a curse. Some of the things that he took home may have helped to infect his wife and his two-year-old son. Ooh, and they both died. Oh, nasty. Yeah. Yeah. Don't steal from the dead guys. Hmm. Unless you are a qualified archaeologist. Or soak it in vinegar before you take it home. (laughs) So, yeah, so 260 villagers from 76 different families died as a result of this plague in just over a year. Yeah. And this included William Mompesson's wife, Catherine. Oh. Um, She had taken to tending the sick. Right. So she had basically put herself in the way of contracting illness, but she was aware of what she was risking. Um, she died aged 27 on the 22nd Oof, of August. Damn. I know. That's tragic. Yeah. And she is now the only plague victim that's buried at the graveyard of, in the graveyard at Eam because... The others were turfed out. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> like I said, most people were buried in fields oh, and yeah. things like that. Um, she had a tomb specially built for her by her husband. So have these bodies that have just kind of been, were buried all over the place, were they later like recovered or are they still technically, you know, if you go, if you dig a hole for like a new cable or something in Eam, are you going to hit a corpse? I think they haven't been recovered. Um, But I think that a lot of the like local historians of which there are many and, um, like National Trust people have kind of marked the places where right, people are buried. I see. Um, so at the time, obviously, they didn't have any gravestones or anything because yeah. who had the time? Mm. Um, but people have since sort of labelled them. Who had the time and who had enough vinegar to boil those <laughs> headstones? I know, right? Some of those are huge. Like, ultimately, this quarantine was really successful. Mm. Like, these people effectively gave their lives a lot of them in order to make sure that this didn't spread through the north of england yeah and it worked it never spread beyond him oh wow so ultimately this is a proof that quarantining when done properly yeah can really work but it needs people to have to risk a lot i think especially for these people yeah i mean They've got to be thankful that there was no social media in those days. Otherwise, they'd constantly be hearing about how it's a hoax Mm -hmm. and how, you know, it's all just the government controlling us. Just go about your normal lives. We're not going to wear these face muzzles or whatever the hell they call them now. (laughs) I'm sorry. Have I made you grumpy? No, it's all right. All right. (laughs) It's for show. I was acting. All right. All right. Thank you for listening to That Time When... (laughs) You can follow us on Twitter at that time when for if you uh, give us a little shout out on there we'll give you a little shout out on the show and if you have any suggestions for episodes you can email them to us at ttwpod at gmail.com Thank you as always to Kevin McLeod for our theme song Anachronist as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in the podcast And thank you for listening Now go out, invest in eels and quarantine yourselves Bye!